Father God, as Paul preaches this morning, our prayer is for um, our Father God to soften our hearts. Please, Lord, soften our hearts as we hear his word read and preached. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask Sarah to come forward and read the Bible. Thank you, Sarah. A reading from James, chapter 4, starting at verse 13. Now listen, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If it is the Lord's will... We will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. Now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, the wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourself in the day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the innocent one who was not opposing you. It's wonderful to be with you again uh, to visit. I'm one of the regular visitors here, but I've already met a number of people who are visiting for the first time. This is uh, new for you, and it's, you know, there are quite a few of us, so if you talk to someone and they seem a bit distant and standoffish, they might be new like you. I mean, I've been visiting at churches on various occasions and uh, afterwards said to, said to my wife, ah, the person next to us wasn't very friendly, were they? You know? And then we worked out they were just as new as we were. You know? So uh, just take that into account. We'll catch up for coffee afterwards. It's uh, uh, great to be here for the start of a new year. We're dipping into the book of James today, uh, the passage that was just read. So if you've got a Bible, you can flip it open or maybe you're someone who uh, views those sort of things on their phone, which is all fine. But let me just pray that God will be very kind to us as we look at his word and we're particularly thinking about how we make plans under the hand of a sovereign God. How do you, how do, you do that? Let, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a gracious God. You speak to us through your word and Father, we ask that as we uh, consider this part of your word today, you'll help us to understand it, uh, to take it to heart and to be strengthened in our trust in you as we press on together. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, it's the start of a year, good time to look back, review what's happened, good time to look forward and think about where we're going. So I guess the question I want to start with is what was 2019 like for you? Uh, did it pan out roughly the way you were planning 
or did you get a few curveballs that were thrown up? For Sue and I, uh, 2019 was dominated by Sue having lymphoma and getting treated for that, uh, blood cancer. We weren't really planning for that, to be quite honest. Uh, it's just one of those things that came in through the window and hit us on the side of the head. Uh, I was talking with Stuart just before the service, who's been leading. He was saying, yeah, you know, 2019 wasn't exactly what he was planning either. And there were a whole lot of things that uh, were a heartache and grief for him throughout that process. I don't know how your year planned out for you, whether you planned for things, whether things happened you weren't expecting. And maybe that means as you look to 2020, you've got some of the same sort of question marks operating in your mind. It's easy to feel uncertain or nervous because at the end of the day you know that your, your goals, whether it be in relation to work or family or leisure or finance or any number of things, they can all crash to the ground in an instant. I saw a financial advisor, basically gives me advice about my superannuation primarily, uh, a few months ago. He said, everything's looking okay. I think you might have enough to retire on in due course. And then I remembered uh, a few years back when I got my superannuation statement back uh, from the company I had it invested with. I'd been putting money into my superannuation account throughout the year got my statement at the end of the year, there was less money in the account at the end of the year after I'd put money into it than when I started. And I figured that, you know, over a 15 or 20 year period at the end of the day, I would owe the superannuation account money, you know, like if it kept going that way. You know, I thought, it's all very well, but you can't always know or even trust the advice of people you're given. When you turn to the book of James, uh, what you pick up from this letter is that God clearly wants us to live wisely. Back in chapter 1, verse 5, we read these words. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Now, wisdom at this point is that um, capacity to see this world, our lives, from God's perspective, to have God's God's view on things, that's, that's really to be wise. Then when we get to the passage that we just heard read, we have God's wisdom to us about how we think about and plan for the future. Let me read to you again from verses 13 and 14 of chapter 4. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow uh, we'll go into this or that city, uh, spend a year there, carry on business, make money, well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What's your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Now, you might be a sort of a, a live-for-today sort of person and you might feel that these verses support a level of disorganised spontaneity when it comes to how you plan your life. Can I say they don't? That's actually not what's going on here. Uh, there is nothing wrong with planning, and you can go to lots of different parts of the, uh, the Bible that will endorse planning. But these verses do tell us that wise planning takes certain things, certain truths into account. Firstly, 
We don't know what the future holds. But it's really easy to forget that, I think, living day to day. I've, um, these last couple of weeks, people I work with have started putting me on an electronic diary, all right, which comes up on my phone. All right? So I get reminders about things I'm meant to attend to, which is less useful depending on how far you've got to travel. Uh, so I came down here from Adelaide this morning, and I got a reminder at 10 to 10 that I needed to be here. Uh, <laughs> less than useful, but, but you get the point. You know, there's, but the trouble with this technology and all that lies behind it is that I'm planning what happens each day. I've got it all in my diary, therefore it will happen, right? I'll look at my electronic diary. Duncan and I are catching up tomorrow. At what time, Duncan? Yep, just checking to make sure he knew. <laughs> and uh, we are in Adelaide, right? So therefore it will happen because I have planned it. It's easy to fall into that mindset, isn't it? Just because we've got it organised, just because we've got it planned, we feel like in a sense we control it. That, that creeping understanding that we do actually have control of our lives. But you and I both know that that's illusory. I used to work for a guy who had a number plate from his car on the wall of his office. And I remember the first time I saw it there, asking him about it. He said, well, let me tell you the story behind the number plate. My son and I were driving across the Hay Plains. We, we stopped at some roadworks somewhere near Hay. And then, as we were sitting there, he said, I looked in the revision mirror, and I could see a truck coming up behind us. That was fine except that he felt like the truck wasn't slowing down. That wasn't so fine. See, the truck had travelled this, this route time and time again, generally no road works, so the, the driver was on autopilot. And this truck didn't slow down, just smashed into the back of my friend's car with him and his son inside. Now, they were hauled off to hospital, they had various injuries, but they weren't killed. He said, but, it, you know... It could so easily have happened. So I've got that on the wall to remind me about the transitory nature of life and the fact that it's not within my control. When you think about tomorrow, you don't know what will happen. And you're so aware of that. Uh, when sickness strikes, you lose a job, someone dies, you fall over or break a hip. All those sorts of events just remind you you don't control things. And then James goes on, he says, actually, we're just a mist. That's what our life is. It appears for a little while, then it vanishes. Now, this isn't a great Australian summer analogy, really. Mist, we haven't struck that for a while, probably, this, this part of the world. So maybe the analogy is thinking about a very shallow puddle on a 42-degree day. Doesn't last long, does it? Just sort of just dries up and evaporates immediately. And here's the point. That's the same as your life. Let me ask you a question. Uh, on your mother's side, okay, I want you to think about your great-grandfather on your mother's side, and I want you to put up your hand if you can tell me his first name. See, that's, that's actually pretty good. 
right? But most of us can't remember it. Most of us probably didn't even know it, right? Now, that person, the great-grandfather on your mother's side, hasn't been dead all that long, maybe just a couple of decades, a few decades. But you, most of you can't, you don't know him. Can I say it's exactly the same for you? Right? You'll die, you'll be forgotten. That's the reality. It's a bit sort of sad, but that's the reality, you know? And people will think, oh, yeah, my great-grandmother, I wonder who that was. What then? They're like, who cares, you know? Sort of... That's the nature of your life. Sad, but, but very real. And that's the point being made here. Your life is just a mist. And what you need to do is take these things into account. But, you know, having said those things, you can feel like, ah, oh, this is the sermon to depress us at the start of the year. You know, it's full of sort of doom, gloom and fatalism, sort of eat, drink and be merry for tomorrow we die and then you get forgotten, Okay. You know, amen, let's go and have money tea. You know, like, you could, you could actually feel a little bit that way, but that's not the point that James is trying to make. James is trying to say to us, what you need to do is to live with certainty in the midst of an uncertain world. Okay, and that's the thing that followers of the Lord Jesus have, absolute certainty in the midst of the uncertainties. Verse 15. Instead, what you want to say is, if it's the Lord's will, we'll live and do this or that. Now, can I say this is not a formula to tack on at the start of your action sentences, you know? If it's the Lord's will, I think I'll duck out after breakfast and buy a newspaper, you know? If it's the Lord's will, we'd like you to come around for a meal tomorrow night. This is not a formula you just whack into every sentence, that's not the point. It's actually a bedrock conviction about the character of God. And James is identifying the risk as we live in this world that we'll think that we we control the world and the future rather than God. The risk is that on Sundays we can gather and sing Our God Reigns and then on Mondays substitute your name. Paul reigns, you know. <laughs> that's, that's the default mindset that's possible to put in place. Friends, we do not control the future. But there's a great security in knowing that God does and the character of the God who does. He's sovereign. We aren't. We can delude ourselves by thinking the meticulousness of our planning strategies give us a level of control. But of course, they don't. I ran into a guy two weeks ago at church, someone I hadn't spoke to for about a decade, and he said to me, I remember, he said, 10 years ago, I remember you standing up in church and saying that your, your vision for this Trinity network of churches is that we would plant 20 churches by the year 2020. This was you know, basically the last Sunday before that, that ticked over. He said, how's it going? And I said, well, I said, we planted 10 churches over that time. He said, he sort of stopped for a second. He said, oh, well, that's not bad, you know. <laughs> but he, you get the point. As I had some desires in place, but it's actually God 
who brings those things to pass. Not me, not Duncan, not anyone else. It is the sovereign hand of God who rules. We read in Proverbs 16, verse 9, In their hearts, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. Can I say that this truth about the, the sovereign hand of a gracious God as from year to year I go forward, I find of enormous comfort and security knowing that, that uh, this gracious and sovereign God goes before me every step of the way and that nothing comes through the net of his sovereign goodness to me without him allowing that to occur. It's a great comfort, I find. And as I say, as I get older, I find it a greater comfort. Knowing this truth, James says, it means what we will do, though, is we will plan to do good. You picked that up in verse 17. Uh, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it's sin for them. Uh, knowing God means uh, we know the good we ought to be doing. It's revealed to us by God. It's clear to us in the scripture. Now, what, what is the good that's on view here? Primarily, it's to do with the way we manage our financial resources. That's the context here in, in James. Uh, but I suspect the good is a much broader sort of idea when it comes to that. And you're probably like me. Life tends to get really busy. Um, things push in from every direction. And I reckon in Australia, life has become increasingly busy over time. What that means for me is that good things tend to get squeezed out. That is, the good according to God's purpose, the things that honour him, the things that glorify his name. And I just get busy. Not doing good, just get busy. Uh, Sue and I had the opportunity to go out for a meal with our neighbours the other day. We've been talking about going out for this meal with our neighbours, I reckon, for about three years. And we finally got it in the diary. And it was a great time. These people aren't followers of Jesus. And we've been wanting to connect with them and build that relationship. And I thought, this is hopeless. This is the good we should be doing. And yet I've allowed the busy to take over from the good in terms of those sort of priorities. We need to plan to do good according to God's perspective. Essentially, I've been a pastor now for around 30 years of a church, you can probably tell. Right? And um, uh, one of the things that's occurred over those 30 years is, 30 years ago, people, regular Christians, would generally get to church maybe three out of four times, you know, allowing for sickness, holidays, other different things. But generally, it was a regular sort of thing. What do you reckon the statistic is for church going in Australia from those who call themselves followers of Jesus and consider themselves regular attenders, right? So I've little, like really lowered the bar here. Um, it's 50%. Isn't that interesting? Three decades, the percentage has dropped by effectively a third. Now, do you understand the scriptures talk about the priority of gathering with God's people? So why has that percentage dropped? It's the good we don't do, even though we know we ought to. Isn't that an interesting thing? 
Now, I'm not trying to load you up with guilt here at this point. This is not a tick-the-box sort of exercise. But I am asking you to think about the priorities you have as you go into the new year. Do good is what we're instructed to do. Then what uh, James does in this section is he talks about having the right perspective on money. That is, planning to do good with regard to our finances or our resources. And there is the danger that he highlights of trusting in wealth and resources instead of God. Now, that's a cultural problem that we have here in Australia. Uh, in James 4 and 5, he talks about the traders who plan to make money. We go to this town, we'll make money, we'll move here, we'll trade here for a year. You know, that sort of idea is on view. Now, be clear, God does not condemn wealth or riches. Right? Understand that really clearly. God is very wealthy, just in case you hadn't noticed. Right? <laughs> so by definition, he's not condemning himself at this point. Wealth is not the problem. But there are dangers associated with wealth. There's the danger of hoarding, verses 2 and 3. Your wealth has rusted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and your silver are corroded. And their corrosion will testify against you and your flesh and eat your flesh like fire. You've hoarded wealth in the last days. In our culture, accumulating wealth and resources is seen as being good. Um, It's a safeguard against future contingencies. It's one of the ways in which we measure success. Uh, Some of you are like me. You've got a financial advisor you go and see from time to time. Who's got a financial advisor that they've gone and seen who said to you at some stage, whoa, you ought to slow up, right? You've got more than enough to cover you into retirement. Okay? Has anyone got a financial advisor who's ever done that? No, because by definition it's impossible according to that sort of our world's way of thinking. You can never have too much. And we can justify it in all sorts of different ways. But one of the things about gathering resources is we think it guards us against future contingencies. Now, can I say, my superannuation, my financial advisor says to me, I'll probably have enough to last me into retirement, should be okay, right? It didn't actually help Sue when she got lymphoma. I noticed that. Having more in my superannuation fund didn't solve that problem. Trivial, but it's true. Hoarding doesn't help. Extravagance, uh, James highlights. You've lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You've fattened yourself up for the day of slaughter. Now, again, let me say, it is good to enjoy good things. You go to a place like 1 Timothy 4, and it talks about enjoying the good things God gives us. But there is a danger of making pleasure and experience the focus of your life. Um, Again, I caught up some friends a while ago and they talked about in their retirement the annual or twice a year overseas trips they had planned. They visited 63 countries, but they'd like to get to them all before they die. Now, do you understand that sort of mindset 
is it's not wrong to visit a beautiful world, but it became and has become the sort of goal. Christians, by definition, never live as well as they could uh, because they've made decisions about how they'll use resources uh, for the sake of other people. I took a funeral for a guy called Ian Bartlett about a week ago. Ian was one of the trustees of our church. I'd known him for 40 years. Uh, Ian developed dementia and that eventually uh, led to his death. When he went for a walk down through town, uh, he would always have five bucks in his pocket so that he could give it to a beggar if he came across a beggar. Uh, he always thought about how not to hoard, but to use money in the service of others. And then finally James picks up on the danger of injustice. You can tell if you've got a wrong view of your resources from God's perspective uh, because, verse 4, rich people tend to cheat their workers who've got less money than they have. Um, It's always a a giveaway uh, if you you tend that way. Do you tend to cut corners on your tax? Um, Do you always pay your bills on time? Uh, When you're in a shop and the shopkeeper gives you more change than they should, do you make sure you give it back? Or do you think it's sort of, you know, a bonus when it comes to that? Do you know? There are a whole lot of mindset things that happen there that indicate your heart and therefore your priorities when it comes to resources. But as you get to the end of this, this section, here is the key thing to bear in mind as you plan under God. It's to plan with eternity in view. To pick it up in verse 5 of chapter 5. You have fattened yourself for the day of slaughter. Verse 4 already has mentioned the last days, that sort of place in time where we're anticipating the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Fatten your days, fatten yourself for the, the days of slaughter. I'm... Um, I'm short-sighted, right? That means when I take off my glasses, you suddenly look so much better. (laughs) No, I don't mean that at all. But you get the point. I can see up close, but I can't see far away. That's the point that's being made here by James. Our natural tendency is to live based on the things we can see, um, touch, feel, perceive, the immediate context that we have. We get preoccupied with the here and the now. But you know, followers of the Lord Jesus, when they're planning for 2020, take into account 2,220, which in case you haven't worked out is when you'll all be dead. That is, you take into account a future that is, we know is absolutely certain at this point, because it's hidden with God and his promises. And we take that perspective into the coming year as we plan and as we live. Friends, we're in the last days. That's what the scriptures say. Uh, That period which anticipates the Lord's return. And in any event, we know there's a day of accountability coming, a day of judgment. Isn't it a very um, graphic image, fattening yourself for the day of slaughter? 
Um, the picture it conjures up in my mind is someone who uh, runs a meat-producing farm with cattle. You know, and the idea of... It's really sort of cow heaven, you know, because the cows are just getting fattened up with all the best food, great medical help. You know, the idea is to make life as good as possible for the cow so that they have a pleasant life and grow fat and chubby. But, of course, the cow doesn't take into account the fact that the whole purpose of this is to fatten them up so they can get hauled off to the abattoir and get killed. Uh, They're short-sighted in that sense. Um, And that's the image that's being used of people who live in this world not taking into account the day of accountability before God and the eternal thing. Because we know where we will be a million years from now is if you trust the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be with him and you'll be secure. Friends, we're told to be patient until the Lord's coming. Some of us will look back on 2019 and uh, we'll be so glad it's over. We'll be aware of how tough it was or the heartbreak that occurred. We had to deal with death or relationship breakdown, or grief. And, and often, just as the, the year flips over, it gives you a chance to reset on all those sorts of things. James is writing to believers who are doing it tough. That's why he writes this letter. But friends, as we look to the future, can I remind you, Uh, that we are in the hands of a compassionate and gracious God. We're to remember that the day of the Lord is coming. And even though we're not certain, I have no idea in many ways. I've got plans, but I've got no idea how 2020 is going to unfold. And if you're honest, you don't either. You're like me, you've got your plans, desires, hopes, dreams. But you're not God. You do not control the future. But here is the thing, we are absolutely confident about what we'll be doing a million years from now. Absolutely confident. I know exactly what that's going to look like. And I know exactly how I should be aiming and setting myself for the coming year as I serve this sovereign and gracious Lord who rules over every step that I take. It's actually a wonderful thing and securing thing to be in the hands of the living God. It's a wonderful thing. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you're a a gracious God who cares for us, who loves us, the one who rules from eternity to eternity, one who is loving, gracious, sovereign. Uh, Father, we pray that you'll keep helping us to live as those who appreciate your very character and purposes, that you'll help us to think through and plan to do the good that you set for us to be doing. And as issues arise in our life, things that in so many ways we prefer to avoid at times, that we'll keep trusting you, trusting in the one who's at work to shape us more like the Lord Jesus, 
for our good. Father, keep growing us in this coming year so that we're people who trust you more, understand your character more, and obey you. Uh, Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.